Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bottle Down. My name is Mark Rayshap, and uh, we talk wine in the wine industry. Every week, we broadcast live in Austin, Texas on Co-op Radio, KOOP 91.7 FM, and make this podcast distributed via iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, do me a great favor and, and like the podcast in the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts uh, and, and give a comment and uh, say what you've learned or uh, any experiences that you might have had that, that enrich our uh, collective wine experience in Austin, Texas. On today's show, we've got a couple great guests. Marco Fiorillo, who is managing partner and owner of Aviary Wine and Kitchen. It's a wine bar in Austin, Texas, and his beverage director, Alex Bell who has great perspective on a wide number of wines, natural wines. We dig into a lot of great conversation. I won't say too much yet, so uh, I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this, and it shows how Austin is such a great place to be enjoying wine in the United States. A couple quick plugs. Uh, There is a Texas wine event that is this weekend, February 25th, at Stonehouse Villa out in the Hill Country. This is a not-to-miss event. It's put on by the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas. It focuses on the top Texas wines that are uh, rated by Texas Monthly in Jessica Dupuis' list. So if, uh, if, if you're doubtful that they're making great wines in Texas or you just want to taste the best of the best that Texas has to offer, these wines are not really available via retail. Or retail. They are the best that the wineries are bringing to the table. And so uh, really, uh, the weather is going to be great. It's going to be an event not to miss. So winefoodfoundation.org for tickets and more information. So let's jump into the interview. We're going to start with Marco talking about how Aviary Wine and Kitchen got started uh, in 2006 or way back when. Enjoy. My wife and I started in 2006, and we just, on a whim when we were in Argentina, decided to pretty much buy everything we saw and uh, put it in a shipping container and come back with it, not knowing what we were going to do. Luckily, it took three months for the container to get back here so we could find a place. And we landed on South Lamar knowing in 2006 that it was going to start growing and growing and growing. But uh, retail did well for a very short time. And then, uh, you know, right around 2008, even though that was our original idea was to add a wine bar to it, we kind of jumped the gun in 2008 and decided to go in that direction. So, so the concept was the concept was to 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 really uh, meld these these uh, this travel and and this striking visual environment, right? right I mean, right. it's, it's well, so the idea, honestly, is if you have a showroom full of furniture that you really can't sell, why not have a second use for it <laughs> right. and let everybody lounge around on really high-end beautiful stuff and makes the wine experience a lot better. And that and that was successful to a certain extent, but you knew uh, relatively soon that, that there need, needed to be more offerings. Is that how it how We it outgrew it. Yeah. We outgrew it, and, you know, uh, the wine definitely took footing beyond the retail aspect. The retail started slowing down. I mean, we have a couple of big, giant conglomerates, uh, Amazon-esque companies that have made sure retail is dying. (laughs) So we knew it was coming, and we just kind of evolved with it. 
the neighborhood, the people, everybody um, asked for more and more until we got to this point. Did you find that the neighborhood aspect of the, the wine bar was really strong and, and uh, you needed to cultivate that? Is that very strong in Austin? We are a uh, neighborhood bar before, before we're anything else. Right. Uh, our regulars, you know, diehard regulars, three times a week are all walking up there so yeah, yeah yeah and and then so give us a timeline then so of of the the uh remodel was there much of a remodel and and yes. and then uh give us some insight and and we'll start talking uh wine here in a second but. okay well um we closed january 15th and what alex and i talked about taking three to four months to yeah. january 15th of <laughs> 2017 right yeah. yes and it took 10 months so October, we finally reopened. Wow. Um, I, everybody's told you, you know, it's it's not easy with the uh, city of Austin and permitting. So right. it takes, you know, calculate three times the length that you'd expect it to take. And that's pretty accurate <laughs> to what it took us. And so we reopened in October uh, and have been running and gunning ever since. It's and so been, during that time, what was what were the major projects that were going on? Uh, we did the really, really hard research of tasting. Uh-huh. Okay, well, yeah, it's every, very important. Every day. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'd say since we had 110 wines originally on the list, we probably tasted 900 wines. And uh, that's really hard. I mean, it's extremely hard to have to enjoy so many wines. Right. So. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Alex, you know that firsthand. Have, were you on board during the, the first iteration? Uh, are, are you, what's, what's your role in the Austin restaurant wine bar scene? Um, so I moved to Austin um, about five and a half years ago from Philadelphia. And I'd been in the Philadelphia wine scene for quite some time. Um, and while my time in Philadelphia came to a head, uh, basically I couldn't do winter anymore, if I'm telling you the truth. Um, I moved down to Austin. Many of us have been there. Uh-huh. I moved down to Austin for the sunshine and the opportunities. Um, I kind of landed in the scene and, and hit the ground running with a, a couple different institutions, um, mostly with Lasco Enterprises for a long period of time, uh, who own Max's Wine Dive and the Tasting Room in Houston. And I worked for all their different uh, institutions for a bit, mostly focusing on openings and development of the wine programs. Um, from there, though, uh, I kind of stumbled across this small little in-the-know wine bar on South Lamar known as Aviary Home Decor. Right. Um, a speakeasy front for a gorgeous wine bar that says it sells furniture and <laughs> sat at the bar and, and met the character to the right of me. And we started just hashing it out about all the nerdery of wine, you know, right. the fun ins and outs and why we love certain regions. And I could see there was immediate kinship and connection in how we approached wine, how we wanted to break down these preconceived notions of stuffiness and pretension and just make it farm juice again, because that's what it really is. And that's right. where it comes from, you know, right. wine for the people and uh, 100%, you right. know, Ray is a friend, right, a to fan. Quote, to quote a, um, a business here in, in Austin, Texas, Ray Wilson, for mm-hmm. sure. Shout out to her. Yeah, much love. Um, so we we kind of bonded that way. And I would just sit there and I'd bring bottles from the programs I was working with. And he would have all this hidden stash that uh, really was mostly for the nerd community. And so um, through a lot of conversations, uh, basically it turned out that Marco found out I'd become a free agent and was floating around. He helped me land a couple private seller um, managing gigs. And then was like, hey, I know you've done a lot of restaurant openings. I know you've worked a lot in this industry. I love your palate. I love working with you. What do you think about coming on board? So I dove in head first. Now, that being said, I was in the initial uh, early iterations of Aviary and got to see it in its uh, past, um, you know, kind of persona. 
Then I traded in my wine tool and my Osawa for uh, a hammer and a hard hat. <laughs> and we did a lot of general contracting for a minute there and just manual labor. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a complete and total teardown. We renovated the space from floor to ceiling uh, through and through. And while it was very heartbreaking to lose something that I thought was such a unique part of Austin, I saw that we were more just creating a cocoon so that this butterfly moment would affect and we would be able to create this really pretty aftermost. Right. And there's been a lot of really interesting things that have come up since this new opening, which we're going to talk about. If you're just tuning in, my name is Mark Rayshap, and this is Another Bottle Down. We're talking with the team from Aviary Wine and Kitchen. Uh, you can uh, get more information on the whole thing, everything that we're talking about. Follow along at aviarywinekitchen.com. Marco Fiorillo is the owner, managing partner. Alex Bell is the beverage director. Now, Marco, you know, is there a, how's the dynamic? You, you guys both really come together on wine, but, uh, you know, you're the owner but you're still a little active you're still a wine lover right I'm still working with yeah. Alex yeah. day to day the um, I don't know if you've noticed but you have to slow him down sometimes and <laughs> rein him in a little bit he's got energy for days and that's something that perhaps I'm lacking right now I have a little more nuance and patience and what I do right. and so together we kind of bounce ideas off each other and I geek out on specific regions or specific wines where he geeks out on other regions and other wines and together we create a very bountiful list yeah. so it puts a lot of interesting wines in front of people and makes can we it, dig into that what are some of you let's get jump right to it. what are some of your favorite regions that you say well, always have to be on the list I'm a francophile okay and uh, he, I have Almost to get to a in. fault I'm not even kidding <laughs> I have to get reined in a lot because when we started, we only had, oh, about a dozen French wines. And then I started poking around a little bit more and kept going and kept going. And then we had Beaujolais well taken care of. And then we had Bordeaux taken care of. And we had some higher end. And then we started doing uh, Rhone and Rhone took over. Right. So that's, that's where he came in and he started pulling back and saying, well, you're not giving any love to Cali. What's going on with that? And he would come in and start showing and, you know, having to force my hand in some of the ways. But together we banter really well and right, we keep this list going. Because you guys, uh, well, before I get into that, Alex, your favorite regions and, um, and what you kind of, what what Marco has to rein you in on? Yeah, no, I well, I, I really cut my teeth in wine um, while living abroad in Rome. Um, I found a small little boutique shop where the gentleman was willing to help my education along based off the amount of euros I had in my pocket. So I've got four <laughs> euros. And he's like, well, you're drinking two bottles from Piedmont. Or I'm like, I've got 10 euros and I want one bottle. And he's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have some Sagrantino. Right. And I'd be elated to have that opportunity. So Italy has this just very resonating emotional connection for me. And, and a little bit intimidating to many folks mm -hmm. because of so many varieties. That's the one where you can get lost in some uh, primitive varieties that nobody's ever heard of. Right. And every village says that they've got one grape that nobody else in the world has. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're inundated with names that you can't even pronounce. Right. And that's one of the reasons I think I love Italy so much is that, um, you know, you can traverse it your entire life and you're still going to find a new variety or a new offering or a new stylist, uh, style of production that is completely unlike anything else you've ever tasted across the boot. Right. And so when you have a place like that how can you never how can you ever get bored you know it's like a wonderland right. you can constantly be running and moving and as marco said when you kind of are a high energy person you you 
you s- clamor for the new thing. Right. And I always want to taste what's new. Um, so, and then, and then once you feel like you even have one region down, then they start doing things differently and there's new laws mm-hmm. that are introduced. Yeah, but, of course the, the sun takes over and then suddenly he's like, dad, you were cool, but I'm throwing all of your ways out the window. And <laughs> we're I'm going back to new. primitive. Yeah. The thing about Italy that I know and the reason why it is the way it is, is because you're talking about a very slender piece of land with ocean on all sides you know yeah. you have water on all sides you have this great maritime air you have this incredible earth and soil that changes every 10 miles and so you can be at the boot heel and get some ridiculous wines that are amazing and then all of a sudden cross over to the toes and it changes completely because the soil changes completely the volcanic structure changes completely and they can't grow the same grapes and they were smart mm-hmm. enough to say hey we're not using water we're just going to do what it does and the grapes that survive survive absolutely um um, we, we need to take a short, quick break, and uh, we'll continue talking about aviary wine and kitchen, dig into your menu uh, after the break and some of the particular wines you're excited about and, and some of the educational offerings that you are starting to really uh, roll with. So I'm very excited about this. Marco Fiorillo and Alex Bell from Aviary Kitchen and Wine Bar. This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. My name is Mark Reshep. Stay tuned. Uh, guys, you know, the passion that you have towards wine and food is so palpable. Um, what are you, some of your, you know, I want to go back to what you had said, Alex, a little bit ago, and, and that you, you felt that you needed to have some California also represented or because that was what maybe some of the public was comfortable with asking for. How do you tread that fine line between what people want or, you know, almost what they say they like because they're put on the spot and then a deer in headlights just says, you know, almost the most uh, marketed brand out there sometimes. How do you tread that line? Is it more of a welcoming environment that, that folks are open to, to new things? Well, I have, um, being that we were open for as long as we were previous, I had created a kind of a culture around, oh, well, Marco will pick it for me, right. you know? And so I would tell them when they come in, oh, I want a nice Chardonnay. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I have this for you. I'll take care of it. And they had trusted me to the point where, Almost to a fault, in that sense to a fault, because Alex would come in and they're like, oh, no, 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 Marco will pick it for me. And then Alex is like, great, yeah. okay, thanks. 35 minutes sitting at the bar and not ordering anything until Marco comes, which right, is right, just right. a testament to his skill, no doubt. But, you know, it, it was one of those parts of the culture that needed a little assaging. Um, yeah. And... When Marco and I joined together, I, I always loved his list, but Marco's list for me was for the nerdery. It was for the Francophile that's really trying to dig into boutique pocket regions within France right. or other areas. And I kind of was discussing with him about buying, as you mentioned, for everyone, not just buying for yourself. And we, it was it was a good give and take about beating him up a little bit and trying to introduce him to some producers that aren't necessarily what I drink every day, but I think are really good interpretations of the movements and swings that are happening in the modern wine world, in the new world of wine. So, you know, you have your Californians, your, your Oregon offerings, your Washington offerings, but not to mention also your South American uh, selections and your, um, even your, your boutique you know, small kind of developments coming out of what is new world to us because we never had it before, but it's older than anything like Macedonia, yeah. you know, case in point. So what, what do you think is 
maybe of the, the top three hottest regions right now that, that folks are really excited about, the public is excited about, and how you manage that and, and, and buy for that or, or send them in other directions? I think there's a huge resurgence right now in the north. Uh, so you're talking about Washington and Oregon. There's a big resurgence. And truly, the Pinot game is upped. So Pinot, tremendously Pinot's hot right now. It right? is, especially in that region. Uh, they're also a little more experimental. There's some uniqueness coming out of that area. They are willing to test uh, older styles, older uh, winemaking techniques, and come up with some beautiful things that I was actually impressed by because Alex brought them to me and showed off some really interesting stuff. Right. I think um, you know you have to pay attention to the fact that the natural wine movement is gaining so much momentum right now. In 30 seconds, describe what natural wines are. <laughs> <laughs> Letting wine be what it's supposed to be without trying to interfere or use modern technology to manipulate it to what it's perceived to be by the general culture. And an example of that would be adding adding adding, um, adding extra sulfur, utilizing certain chemicals in your fields, um, heavy manipulation with oak, things along those lines. Trying right. to allow Mother Nature's expression to be as true to form as she would want it. So utilizing concrete, which still breathes, so it has almost a life to it. Uh, yeah. Amphoras, clay buried in the ground, so Mother Nature is the one actually controlling the temperature based off her core. You know, I, I consider it Gaia juice or or like it be Burning Man theme <laughs> wines. You know, it's really that, that effort into a hippie movement, trying to just give back to Mother Nature as you take a bountiful harvest from her. But in your opinion, that's not a fad. It's here to stay. I mean, well, people are taking this seriously, right? Correct. Because yeah. even though he's calling it hippie wine and all that, it's more farmer juice than anything else. Yeah. Everybody that you run into across Italy, especially because they're natural and always have been natural, especially orange wines, orange wines being of the natural movement, are predominant in northern uh, Italy and doing incredible, very popular. And so I wouldn't so consider them as hippie wines because there's no trend to them. They're actually just the way wine has been made for thousands of years, completely unmolested with the vibrancy of the earth and the natural effect of everything that occurs in fermentation imparted into the wine. Right. We should say an orange wine is simply a uh, white grapes that are fermented uh, with contact on the skin and it turns an orange hue and, and 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 that's how they used to make these white wines with skin contact way back when. And mm -hmm. a little bit of open fermentation also. Open fermentation, so more oxygen and whatnot. Right. So, you know, looking at your list and, and folks, you can follow along out there, aviarywinekitchen.com. They have a, a really great website with all of the their uh, their lunch and dinner menus, as well as their wine list. Uh, do you guys, when you change the wine list, which you must do very regularly, does the website get updated? Is it pretty pretty close to real time? Yeah, we that's have, a challenge. I know, I know. We have a wonderful PR firm that we work with that helps us tremendously to maintain all this. Uh, Resplendent Hospitality has been huge for us, Excellent. but we send it to them as Marco and I go through a lot of back and forth, and suddenly someone might drop by with a bottle that I'm out of the building for, and Marco can't resist, and then I. <laughs> find out that I've got new wine in inventory. And so the menu gets updated. Um, we've been doing a very good job at sitting on our hands to ensure that we don't move so fast with our wines that people, you know, miss out on something they fell in love with. Right. You know, we don't alienate their experience by never having it again. Um, but we that do, is a tricky line to tread in terms of keeping things fresh, but also keeping things that folks like. Very that, much so. That's where he keeps my hands still, because <laughs> I'm willing to change wines weekly. So um, 
Well, we're we're running a little short on time. I want to delve into chef and the and the and the food menu too, and uh, we can circle back maybe with some favorite pairings as well. But uh, what do you do? You guys want to introduce chef, and because that's been a bigger piece in terms of the new uh, the, the the remodel, the new concept. Oh, right? completely. We couldn't be more blessed to have Chef Thomas Calhoun coming from uh, lineage at Lenoir for quite some time as a pastry chef, taking on his first executive chef role, and really just riding that horse into the sun sunset with great vigor and enthusiasm. Um, the menu is structured. I mean, since we're a wine centric concept, the menu is structured around the regions where wine and food waltz hand in hand. So it really gives Chef Thomas a full breadth of ability to traverse any region he's interested in. So he plays with Moroccan spices in certain dishes that I think are really beautiful, yet then dials it back and we make our own pasta in house. So house made pastas, like right now we're doing a house made pappardelle as well as we're doing a mushroom risotto dish. Um, and what I love is that he's focusing on different mushrooms. It's not just chanterelles. It's he's utilizing duck cells, which I think are so flavorful yeah. and robust. Um, and then he still, you know, dials into Parisian style gnocchi, utilizing sweet potatoes so they float on the top. A lighter and more airy style of gnocchi, adding in lardons, which I mean, you add bacon or pork belly to anything, and my knees go weak <laughs> and my heart, you know, beats <laughs> loudly and proudly. Um, but and we, you know, also gave South Lamar something I think it desperately needed, which is an oyster program. Um, cheese and charcuterie and oysters are an uh, integral part of our dining community and one that we can't pass on. And that has to be fun for the wine lover and for you guys to be choosing wines that, that really go with oysters. What are your favorite oyster wines that, that you have? Uh, uh, yeah. They're all going to be French. <laughs> Sancerre, for sure. Yeah. I love Sancerre's. Uh, Melon de Bourgogne is the perfect grape for it, so Muscadet's work, too. Right. And... Um, we have uh, actually the carpenter, Semillon, which goes pretty darn well with oysters. Uh, depending on the salinity of the oyster, it depends on what you're going to go with. You've got the no-brainers. You can do Riesling just about any time with them as long as they're bright and real high acid. That works really well with everything. If you want to add a little hint of sweetness to anything, you can just drop it down to a Gewurz and see how that goes. Right. So. Yeah. For me, I, I go back to the orange wine movement and found that orange wines work so beautifully with oysters in such a surprising way. And right now we have a Dilao. It's a 50-50 blend coming out of Georgia of Rakitzatelli. And the Republic of Georgia. Republic of Georgia, not right. peaches. We're, right. going, uh, we're going old school with this. Um, but I mean, a place that's been making skin contact slash orange wines for 8,000 years, yeah. um, aging in what's known as Kivevri, these large clay pots that are buried in the ground. So much romance, so much history. And now that they finally have this liberation factor to the Republic, we're starting to see these wines make their way to our shores and I can't be happier enough. And with oysters, the way the brine interacts with that little bit of oxidative character um, and the indigenous yeast strains that they utilize, I think it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. And the there is a little bit of a difference between the dinner menu and the lunch menu. Lunch is a relatively new thing for, for you guys. I'm very happy about that because I always love lunch to check out a place and then and then say okay these guys have chops let me go to dinner there awesome yeah Yeah, our lunch menu uh we kind of did a little throwback to our old menu our old aviary menu so we brought back things that people loved we had a wonderful uh soup that they wanted to see again and everybody was screaming for the grilled cheese so we brought the grilled cheese back and it's simple and quick easy and still kind of staying within the same style everything is extremely parable our salads are you know 
nobody does salads well anymore. It's just throw some greens on a plate and walk away. I think that salads are the most important thing during lunch. Yeah. You don't want to feel like you just ate a ton of food. You want to be able to keep going with your day. Right. And, you know, a little glass of wine to wash it down. Hey, there's not a problem. Th- that, that's just the Euro European style in which I very much really appreciate. Um, guys, it's been, it's, it's, uh, so cool talking to you. Lunch, dinner, folks, you can check out uh, more information at aviarywinekitchen.com. Um, I do want to hit a, a very cool thing that you're doing, which is the wine school, the Aviary Wine School. Also information on the website. Tell us about that. Um, so Aviary Wine School is our chance just to kind of um, give back the principle that we run Aviary on, which is education. Wine is is the realm of people who always want to be students and always want to continue learning because there's an insurmountable amount of knowledge out there that you can uh, gain in terms of the wine realm. And this is a way that Marco and I can make a really fun, relaxed and playful environment, educational at the same time. So it's running um, the second Sunday of every month. It's going to be um, a class that features a small parcel of people. We're cutting it off at about 20 people so that we can keep it intimate. Um, We offer some really cool incentives posts so you can take the wines home if you fell in love with them, which I think is a ton of fun. And the themes are all based off themes that Marco and I want to talk about. So we're doing a Hurrah-Jura class, which is our next one, to focus on the Jura region from France. Yeah. Um, Marco, what's one of your favorite classes we have coming up? Uh, the Skin on Skin, probably the Orange um, Wine That's, that's class fantastic. is going to be a lot of yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. And then I really want to do, and I don't know if we're going to get a chance to, because Alex kind of put together a, a you know syllabus, but I've been dying to do France versus U.S. again. Yeah. So. Yep. so it's not just that your typical Wine 101, how to taste, or this, this and that. They're actually complex themes that could be approachable for anybody, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, our first class uh, that we just had was to all the wines we've loved before in honor of Valentine's Day. And it was a really cool class for us because it was speaking about when wine left its lasting impression on Marco and I and why. So I chose the grape Cabernet Franc and I chose um, orange wines. Marco chose champagne pain and then uh, the, yeah and then i got the mondeuse which right. is from uh jean uh in the savoie it actually the grape more than the region for me because i skipped out on a swiss mondeuse a long time ago that i'm still kicking myself <laughs> you know you can about. tell a lot about a person by the first wine that they fell in love with i mean mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's uh yeah. it's really cool that you guys are doing that well any final thoughts before uh, we say we say we'll see you at the restaurant no um we would just love to say that we will see you there for sure um you know everything is very approachable we're a very laid back attitude and yeah. a very relaxed environment where you can come you can try things you've never seen before. We really strive to bring new varieties to a list that people haven't had. And we regularly hear, I've never heard of any of these grapes. And for us, that's the best statement that's in the world. Because yeah. then we get to give you this moment of, this is the first time I've ever had this wine. So right. then you make a connected memory with Aviary Wine and Kitchen. And then obviously we're always going to be with you. Yeah. You know, it's like your first love. Yeah. I mean, in Georgian wines and Macedonian wines, a lot of really cool stuff that I'm sure a lot of folks have not had before. Um, guys, thank you, Marco Fiorillo Thanks. and Alex Bell. Thank you, Mark. Uh, AviaryWineKitchen.com. And uh, keep up the good works, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll see you down the road. Yeah. Thanks so much. Cheers.